the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA09. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your and country. I guess we can go ahead and kick things off. Are you good, Taylor? Yeah, I'm good. I'm ready. Okay. Welcome to Doom to Fail, the podcast where we, I don't know, just travel. I can't. I'm. Uh, what are you even talking about we don't travel i mean we travel but not for the podcast we'd like to someday have us in your city yes talk to the local (laughs) venue if a local library has like a spare conference room yes no uh, okay so no we're the podcast where we're constantly traveling as individuals you were in san diego i was in denver we're we're probably the most jet-setting podcast of any podcast hosts in the world right we are i know absolutely absolutely then you'll be in palm springs and then i have to go to la right after that so jet setters jet setters breaking down barriers absolutely um, so obviously this voice being heard is taylor um our co-host uh, how are you doing Hello. today taylor good very uh we just got back from san diego and then or last night and then so i to come home from a vacation like on Saturday. So you have like Sunday to calm down, you know? So today we're just been like cleaning up. We went to a birthday party. It's very springy out here. It's beautiful. Finally, we, my neighbor came over. I didn't see her. She kind of, she just snuck by, but left us a big, beautiful like bouquet of lilacs um, that I brought in the house and it smells amazing, but I feel like I might die of allergies any day. What sweet neighbor? Beautiful. I know. It's really nice. It's really pretty. I don't even That's know my neighbors. I like barely, I barely have neighbors and I could do a much better job. So I need to go down hurt and say thank you. Fair enough. And all that. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and segue into our stories. And if I am correct on this, I go first this time. You do. Thank you. So I'll tell you what I'm drinking. Yes. I'm drinking this Pacifico IRL, um, but I am drinking rum by the teaspoon. Okay. Which is the only way I drink rum. Yeah, they're teetotaler. That's how mm-hmm. you do it when you're teetotaler. Teaspoon, teaspoon at a time. Yeah, well, that's why you never get drunk. That's why we call you Sober Taylor. Everybody calls me that. Everybody calls you that. Weird, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I should be drinking Coors. Like I said, I just got back from Denver, and we talked about Coors in the episode where we discussed Chris Watts, and now I'm drinking real Coors, which is Coors Banquet, which is the tan-colored can. And they're great. They're really good. Are they? Okay. I was going to ask if it was delicious or not. But I think it's a nostalgia of it. It's like I kind of miss being in Colorado. And like it's kind of cool to like, yeah, have a taste of the Rockies. But what I actually. You were in Colorado like last week. Like yesterday, right? It has a place in my heart. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Continue. Um, I adopt the personality of any place I go. Um, (laughs) But so realistically for today's drink, I chose Lone Star. Are you familiar with Lone Star? No. What is that? So it's a Texas-specific beer, but it's probably the shittiest one. Mm. It's what you get when you can't afford Shiner or mm-hmm. Ziegenbach. I don't know if Ziegenbach is still considered a good beer. It was when I was in high school or college. <laughs> high school. I'm at college. Um, <laughs> whatever. But, whatever. But it's basically it's kind of, it's kind of like a Coors Light. Like it's just like a kind of like a run of the mill. It's not as bad as Keystone, but it's not as good as you know this banquet version of Coors. That, that I'm banquet Coors. Cool. Yeah, exactly. And the reason we're doing that 
is because we are going to be in Texas, which is where you need to be when you drink Lone Star. Makes sense. And the reason we're in Texas is because we're going to be discussing an angel of a woman. Ooh, a lady. Andrea Yates. Oh. Ooh, yeah. See, I set you up. I set you up for failure. She's not an angel. (laughs) I have conflicting opinions about Andrea Yates, and um, we'll be discussing it at length here. All right, let me know. Per usual, Taylor, I'm going to try not to make excuses for people who do messed up things, but this story intertwines two things that, for me, obviously make sense. Devout religiosity mixed with mental illness equals bad shit. Yeah. Yeah. How familiar are you with Andrea Yates? I can't remember the details, but I know that she she killed a bunch of kids. Her kids. She drowned them in the bathtub. Is she the bathtub drowner? She's the bathtub one. Oh, and the and the oldest one was like, "I'll be good. Please don't do it." You know what's funny is like I yeah you're right, but and I always mix this one up with the one who like buckled her kids in the seat of the back car, and then said like. A bunch a black of black guys. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> sure, I shouldn't talk more about that because maybe that'll that'll be the next one I do. Uh, so yeah, you you nailed it. That's Andrea Yates, and that's what everybody knows about her. She drowned her kids in the bathtub. And I went pretty deep down the rabbit hole trying to figure out like what was going on with this woman and how this all came about. And I literally just hit on devout religiosity and mental mm-hmm. illness later on i'm going to describe why i'm prejudiced and i came up with that because andrea yates has a unique distinction where any pet issue you have you can attach to it it's spousal abuse it's loneliness it's a women's place in society today it's mental it's like every everybody can attach an issue to it and mine are yeah. religiosity and mental illness so on one episode of last podcast on the left, um, you might remember Henry said something that I'm going to paraphrase and probably semi butcher here. He says something to the effect of religion turns dumb, naive people into dumb, violent people. Yeah. You remember that one? No, but I get it. But I agree. Agree to agree. And that's and that's kind of like what I kept thinking about as I was reading this. And um, you know what, Taylor, just look up the Yates family. Okay, I don't want to. I'm sad. I know the okay. kids make me sad to look at, but Andrea and the husband, his name's Rusty. We're gonna get into are. It's interesting when I look at them because they just look so average, just painfully, yeah, yeah, yeah. painfully average. Absolutely. I have like no desire. I mean, I guess I should. Like, I know a lot of people like my brother-in-law and his wife they always get like family portraits done like nice ones and I, we just like never done that i just like that'd be weird if i like dressed up and like went to see was way too cool you're way too fucking cool for that that's like what lame people do look at the picture of andrea <laughs> yates and rusty and tell me that you belong in a similar photo lineup as they do no i don't oh beautiful boys yeah okay okay go ahead so in the case of andrea yates i think it took a repressed and depressed person and turned her into a violent and numb person. That's what I get when I look at those pictures of Andy Yates. Is like, there's just nothing there. Like she's smiling, yeah. sure, but like in the eyes, which I know you don't agree, I just don't see a lot of life behind those eyes. Like there's something. Mm-hmm. Like the guy, the guy's, he's loving it. Like he's he's scored. Like he's he's doing great. I don't see that yeah. in her eyes though. Is she like? She doesn't have a job, right? She just like stays at home. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, some people like that, but yeah, also it can be very lonely and horrifying. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm actually going to lean on you a lot for this one, Taylor, because I don't know mm-hmm. what it's like to be a mother or a woman, which I guess are kind of synonymous with one another. Or no, different, but it's hard. Yeah. I should have said woman and then mother, whatever, doesn't matter. And then yeah. also be like our age range because I, it's got to be kind of, in her case, awful. I know that there's a lot of happy mothers out there, but they also didn't have five children with the goal of having a lot more than that. So like Ugh. at 36. Yeah. That's so. too many children. Um, no, I mean, I. it's different for everybody. It's not, I don't think, it's not super easy for anybody, you know, but you just like have to figure it out. Like I have a great husband, so we sh- we split everything, you know, but other people don't. And like, that could make it a lot harder. Um, yeah. I also like, I don't know if I told you this, but someone that I'm connected to on LinkedIn, like started a group for like dads. Who It's like, it's hard to be a dad and have a career. And I was like, this is fucking cultural appropriation. Like, go fuck yourself. It is not hard for a dad to have a career. You know, like, when you have kids, like, women's value goes in the workplace. Like, they get paid less. You know, like, if you tell people you have kids, you get paid less. A dad gets paid more because they assume that he can, like, work harder and will have more time. So, like, the more kids you have, the less you get paid if you're looking for a new job because the assumption is that you're not going to have time to do it. Like, that still exists in the workplace today. I mean, yeah, that's not, this does not surprise me. (laughs) Like, this all sounds like it's, (laughs) like, this feels like it's been since time immemorial has been the case. Yeah. If it's, it's hard, it's hard, but it's also wonderful. Um, I don't know. My kids are a fucking delight. So, no, I want, I want you to talk about this when we get, I'll explain why I think the way I do about her being a mother and why it all came out in the way that it did. But Mm -hmm. my main takeaway from this, like I just mentioned, was like repressed and depressed. That is exactly what I see when I see, her pictures mm-hmm. so yeah let's get into her background a little bit so andrea is from houston texas originally her father there's so many things that intertwine from other stories here her father was first generation american his parents were irish immigrants andrea's mom is actually from germany so mm. i bring that up because immigrant parents tend to put a lot on their kids with their expectations and based on how andrea turned out in high school I think it's safe to assume that they were kind of traditional immigrant parents. Like they just like Mm -hmm. helicopter parents, essentially. Yeah. She was valedictorian of her class, captain of her swim team. She was a leader in some way, shape or form in the national honor society at her school. And was just generally seen as an all around great student, kid, student athlete, classmate, you name it. Mm -hmm. I would, I would say that she's the girl that if you met her in high school, you'd say, oh, she's she's going to go places. Like, she's she's going to be someone, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we all know that overachieving – so we all know that overachieving high school students are all kind of, like, harboring their inner demons. Like, there's something going on when you care so much about your studies, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm prejudiced about this. Like, I graduated with a 2.1 GPA from high school. Like, I was – I was like pretty close to like, it was, I think it was like me and this kid like would start fires with like the last two people that graduated in our class. So like, I'm not of the ilk that like understands why someone would be a high achiever in high school. Oh my like, God, you're this so extent. funny. I mean, but, I wasn't, I wasn't sporty, obviously, but um, I was, you know, the secretary of student council. I was on the national honor society. I was um, junior UN, right? You did junior UN. I didn't. I wish I did, though. Damn we didn't have right. that. I wish I had. Um, and then I had a extremely high grade point average. Seriously? Yeah. Like, what was your GPA? I don't know, like 3.9 or something. Were you, like, top of your class, like, valedictorian? No, I think I was, like, 12 out of, like, 400 or something. Taylor, I'm very smart, 12? farmers. 
I think so. I may be making that up, but I'm not going to say that for the record because no one's ever going to be able to fact check that. But I'm pretty sure That's I was like. That's so smart, though. That's so smart because you could be lying and literally nobody will ever know. And they'll be like, Taylor's a genius. You but that also proves how smart I am. So no matter what path we take, I'm okay. super smart. So I know that in any episode that we start talking about stuff, you're going to start yelling at me about things. And now I know that this is the thing you're going to yell at me about. Okay. So just okay. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying that like, I'm fine. But it also like when when we do our homework with the kids, like Juan has to do it because Florence and I both get so stressed out and she starts to cry because I remember being eight and crying over my homework because it wasn't perfect. You know, like it was such different children. We were like <laughs> vastly different. But this is uh, so this is the part where you're going to start being upset at me. OK, Andrea went on from high school to become an RN. And look, I love nurses. Taylor, you know I love nurses. Like, you met my exes before. And there's no shade to nurses at all. But why the fuck would you work so hard in high school to become an RN? Like, it's a hard job, but it's not like being a, becoming a neurosurgeon. Like, why would you work that hard? Like, go fucking hang out with the kids. So the girl I'm dating now, I hope she's not here. But the girl I'm dating now, like, she's an RN. And, like, the story she tells me of her high school days, like, she was, like, jumping fences, running away from cops. Like, that's I what mean, she it's, did. It's just, it's not like... It's not like my high school grades mattered in my life, you know, but if you're the type of person that thinks that they matter because people tell you they matter, like I was, I just like worked really hard. I would have been like super disappointed if I hadn't, you know, it wasn't like to an end Interesting. Interesting. for the sake of learning and knowledge. Okay. So I do have a rant that I'm not going to do around how to raise children because i feel imminently qualified to discuss this topic we especially in front of you that could be a, a side a side show <laughs> but i do think there's something to rule followers versus rule breakers and how mm -hmm. that manifests in adulthood that... i mean i also like when we were 15 we told this dude we met who was a college dude that we were 16 and i used to stay at his house like every weekend and we would just drink with college guys well, that's rebellious. But I got a lot of good grades. That's rebellious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was cool because I was very cool. No, no. I, I totally believe that you were cool. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> so cool. <laughs> that's what we're going to have dinner on Thursday at Palm Springs. Oh, Lord. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to keep going. Please do. I'm sorry. No, no. This is great. You asked for banter. We're doing banter. So in 1989, Andrea met a guy named Russell Yates who went by Rusty. And, like, he couldn't have been that old, right? Like, a Rusty needs to be, like, an old, grizzled Vietnam yeah. vet, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Rusty was a NASA engineer. He was on the engineering computer side of things. Um, and cool. he was fairly accomplished. Uh, his biggest downfall is that he is, or was, an evangelical Christian. Mm -hmm. So, out of all the versions of Christianity that I look down on, evangelicalism is pretty much at the very top of that list. And what's interesting about this is that most of Americans agree with me. Mm -hmm. So I read this article that included a poll in a publication called Christianity Today. The incredibly awesome and sassy title of this article is, quote, Evangelicals are the most beloved U.S. faith groups among evangelicals. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. At first, I was like, I'm not going to read this article. Then I read the title. I was like, oh, but I, I got to go through this. This is fantastic. Across the board, um, evangelicals in this poll are the worst faith group in the U.S. And the only reason why 
this uh, article speculates the percentage isn't higher of people who hate evangelical Christian or the faith, not the people, is because a quarter of the Christians now in the United States identify as evangelical. So that skews the results because they're not doing double blinds. Mm-hmm. It's weird because I, I wrote down here because like I think of like Catholics and I actually like kind of love Catholicism because of how dark and morbid it is. Like there's just like it's just vastly different than. I don't know. Like it, it, it'd be fun if different. it wasn't for all of the kid raping, you know. Yeah, I'm not gonna disagree with you. <laughs> I'm not gonna record. But I, but I understand. I do like the I like the ceremony, the pomp, the drinking of the blood. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like fun. it's like really macabre Looking and kind of cool. Naked yeah. dead guy. Yeah. Yeah, like and Jesus is ripped, right? Like he's mm-hmm. jacked and ripped, and it's like none of that makes any sense, but it's still cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, by contrast, evangelical to me, like it is. I know this is another thing you're disagreeing with me about. So I look at evangelical Christians the same way I look at like woke progressives in that mm-hmm. their belief system doesn't actually seem to be rooted in like at, like reality so much as it is rooted in performance art. That's truly how That's I fair. feel about woke progressives as I do with like these folks. Most of the beliefs in evangelical Christianity are why Republicans today are the way that they are. I mean, they are. Yeah. I don't, so I should have done my research on this. I didn't. There was an amazing podcast. It had to have been Freakonomics or This American Life, but they did this amazing podcast on evangelicals as a voting block and mm-hmm. how that was literally the thing that saved the Republican Party when Reagan was yeah. coming up. It is a yeah. massive component of why conservatives are the way that they currently are, mm-hmm. being rooted in, in, in the faith structure. It's also rooted in the infallibility of the Bible, and it and also it's a very U.S. centric religion as well. Mm-hmm. So I thought about like manifest destiny and how like we're the best because we're Americans, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Long story short is like Rusty was evangelical, which is horrible because they are shitheads and their belief yeah. system is a joke. Yeah, and most of Americans who are not evangelicals agree with me on that sentiment. As yeah. Christianity Today cited in their hilariously titled article. That's funny. That's Christianity Today. It's like fuck those guys. Yeah. Well, well, they so 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 part of it is because actual Christians, actual right. people of faith, don't think that religion and politics are one. They you shouldn't politicize your religion and turn it into into what evangelicals did. They made a mockery in mm-hmm. some ways of all these other christian beliefs so yeah, anyways totally go, moving on so going back to and, uh, andrea and rusty one thing uh, i read when after they were married because they you'll you'll learn later on that they've been through a ton of psychological discussions with therapists and stuff like real therapists or like theories no yeah. real therapists they, real, okay. like, yeah yeah so one thing that came over and over again was them sitting together and saying that they really truly believe that they need to have as many babies as possible. Like that is like what God wants for them. They're supposed to do this. That's a big piece of this. And and it all strikes me as Rusty's. It doesn't strike me as Andrea's. It strikes me as Rusty's belief Mm -hmm. system. So they did a good job. So they ultimately had five children there was Noah, who's seven, John, five, Paul was three, Luke was two, and Mary was six months old. That is fucking bananas. So, like, this week we were at Legoland. I didn't go. I was, had to work from the hotel. But my my father-in-law went with Juan and our kids, and they met up with 
a family that we know. So it was five kids. My father-in-law was like, get me the fuck out of here. This is too yeah. many kids. Like, and I'm from a family of five. It's too many kids. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that many under seven. That's crazy. Like, that's like, I mean, like it's, it's, I know people do it and, and they do it, but that just seems near impossible. They're at most two years away from each other, but yeah. there's also two that are less than a year from each other. You just have to, ugh, it just sounds, it just sounds, it sounds almost impossible to me. Yeah, it's, and this, again, like, this is the part where, like, your take on this is going to become really, really nif nifty and handy, is I don't know what it's like to go through this, but um, I think that the pregnancies, and everybody agrees that the pregnancies had a lot to do with what ended up happening. Mm -hmm. So it's worth noting that signs of Andrea being depressed were kind of a constant theme. So it started out in high school, after everything happened with Andrea happened, friends came out saying that they remember her talking about suicide. After Luke was born, so Luke, the two-year-old, Andrea tried to commit suicide by overdosing on prescription pills. Mm. Yeah, she'd be hospitalized for this and put on antidepressants. Yeah, the suicidal ideations would keep coming on, though. She'd eventually be put on a cocktail of medications, which did seem to stabilize her to some extent. But the problem was they kept getting pregnant. And she couldn't be on meds when she was pregnant because it would come out in the milk or something. I don't, I don't know scientifically well, how so this works, but you have to be careful with what you, you know. Obviously, when you're pregnant, you're like you have a baby in there, so you shouldn't like binge drink. You know, you can have like a glass of wine every once in a while. That's not going to kill the baby. And after you have the baby, like you can have a glass of wine, and that's not going to kill the baby in the milk either. But um, I have been taking Zoloft for like twelve years, and they said that like it's okay to to keep it to use it when you're pregnant and I tried to get off of it when I was considering getting pregnant for the first time. And I like, I was like, no, like, fuck this. I'm being, I'm depressed. Like it was too much. I need to be on it. So I just stayed on it both through both my pregnancies. So well, there are safe things that you can be on. They might, they might look, they might have had different opinions on that 15 years ago. It was the eighties. Yeah, totally. Like the nineties or whatever. Yeah. So no, this was 2001. So, I mean, it was still no. a long time ago, but like, mm -hmm. you know, the, how people perceive medication for pregnant mothers changes, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, totally. So I will say this. Um, this is very counter to my normal personality type. Normally, I would be talking shit on Rusty constantly. You saw his picture, super generic dude, evangelical Christian. I don't really want to do that because... I don't know subjectively what he was experiencing as part of this. Like, I think that mm -hmm. he looked at things as like, my wife's crazy, pumper full of meds. Hopefully that'll work. And, but then I look at it, I'm like, what, it, what else do you do? Like, I mean, back then, how does a husband treat their wife in this situation you know like i don't i don't yeah i look at it within the context of the time that we're in and i'm like today obviously you have access to people you could talk to people and like research things like oh i need to do this with my wife i should do that like, but like back then it's like yeah you, you had nothing like you, he's just like a generic dude like i'm working every day and my wife is nuts i'm just gonna pump her full of meds and that's basically mm -hmm. it and he seems to be like advocating for mental health now days. and he did back then Mm -hmm. but not but in, in like a in like a weird traditional 35 year old husband in the early 2000s kind of way like it was just yeah. like not like he wasn't like an empath by nature and in right. a lot of this i look at this and I'm like dude like you turn this woman into like a baby factory because of your religious beliefs yeah it just it takes it takes it's 
like so many women are depressed after they have one a baby you know anything that messes with your hormones like that you know being on birth control in general like all those things like they make you can make you crazy so like, so that taylor that taylor's actually that only affects one in ten women that's postpartum what she yeah. had is called postpartum psychosis which affects a very, very, very small subset of women. And Rusty was just ill-equipped to understand. They're like, yeah. yeah, my wife's crazy. It's like, no, 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 dude. Like, she's like, she's like dangerous. Like, it's not just yeah. crazy. She's like dangerous at this point. My, mm -hmm. my thing was all like, dude, stop like being this guy and just hire a babysitter for a week. Take your wife to Hawaii. Like, let her experience yeah. a different lifestyle, different like can you imagine this shit? Like, this is the part where I don't understand it. Where like, wake up every day, every day is the same. There's five screaming babies. I got to nurse three mm -hmm. or four of them constantly. Like, how horrible of a is that? A, is that a good life? I don't know. There's no. There's people who love it. I think legitimately. My mom did it. My mom. Well, we were like twelve years stretched out through twelve years, but she stayed home with us and she loved it. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, that's, that's what they want. That's their dream. It's not for me. Like I have no desire to homeschool. I have no desire to stay home with them. Um, I really like them, but like, I think they should be out. I think we should be separate during the day, you know, but, um, but I think there are people who genuinely do like it. And, and that's like why I thought about like Andrea's inner childhood of like, I did all the right things. I made the best grades. I did this. Mm -hmm. And then I might, I married a man who has a great job and he's going to take care of us and he wants me to make kids. So I'm going to make it. It's like, she just did everything everybody else wanted her to do. And then yeah. like, she wakes up and like, this is her life. Like how yep. fucking sad would that, I mean, I don't know. I'm making excuses for it again, but whatever it is, what it is. Yeah. So this crime, what we're talking about here happened 22 years ago. So she was 36 years old. You're 36. You got five kids that's your and, and and coincidentally there was plans to have more both before and after the murders happened <laughs> i'll get to that what? in a minute i know oh i know i'll get to that in a minute it's absolutely insane so in mid 1999 andrea had more mental breakdowns more suicide attempts i have i've heard i have heard that doctors and researchers don't know why certain antidepressants work and why others don't you know, the brain chemistry is a complicated thing. They yeah. put her on some complicated mix of cocktails. It seemed to work, but occasionally it would stop working. They would change her cocktails and put her on something new. It seems to be a consistent thing with like mental illness and, and all that stuff. That's, uh, that's what you get with a 2.1 GPA when you're describing mm -hmm. neuroscience. Um, <laughs> it's complicated shit. Um, it is. So she had another suicide attempt in mid-1999. Rusty apparently walked in on her trying to slice open her wrists. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, she was again hospitalized, and while being treated for this attempt, Andrea is quoted as saying, like, Taylor, this stuff is so scary to me, because, like, it's like you're hearing someone's, like, demons come to the forefront. Yeah. It's so fucking scary. And then you look at the pictures of them smiling. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk more about that. I'm going to compare it to a movie that you know and then we both love. She she was quoted as saying, during at, while being hospitalized here, I had a fear I would hurt somebody. I thought it better to end my own life and prevent it from happening. There was a voice, yeah. then an image of a knife. I had a vision in my mind, get a knife, get a knife. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like I said earlier, um, Andrea was diagnosed with a much, much more severe version of postpartum depression called postpartum psychosis. Mm -hmm. I wish I remember the numbers on this. One in ten women get postpartum depression. 
it was something crazy. It was like one in like 10,000 or 100,000 get postpartum psychosis. It's like a very exceptionally rare diagnosis. Mm -hmm. It's also referred to as PPP. And the symptoms include delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, abnormal motor functions, confusion. They called it severe difficulty sleeping, mood swing, and a whole host of other things. Like, it almost sounds like a yeah. schizophrenic. Like It sounds mm -hmm. like you're going through – and we'll learn later that, that she was actually having auditory and hallucinatory um, visions going on at the same time. Yeah, none of those things is someone who should be around children. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but I, it's been interesting that they had her hospitalized, but then she went back. I guess she had, I mean, what are you going to do? Well, so here's, so I actually didn't write this in the outline, but it was an interesting point that I probably should have, which is like towards the end when things really hit a crescendo, because you're going to see she's been hospitalized many, many times. Mm -hmm. One of those times, the doctors tried to involuntarily commit her. Mm -hmm. They're like, she's dangerous. Like you need mm -hmm. to like, we got to do this. Yeah. The husband was really adamant saying, no, we'll commit her, but it has to be voluntary. I want, we want to have control over it and when it ends and all that stuff. And so they're like, fine, we'll acquiesce as long as we're going to do it. He did it. The problem was if you do it in a involuntary commitment, there's no insurance limit on the maximum number of days that you can stay. But if you do a voluntary commitment, the insurance limit in Texas at that time for Blue Cross Blue Shield was 10 days. So they got 10 days of insurance coverage. On the 10th day, Rusty's like, we're not paying out of pocket for this shit. And they checked her out. Wow. Didn't mean she was good. Didn't mean she was well. Mm -hmm. He was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to spend $7,000 a day here? No, we got to check you out. Great. Good job, America. No kidding, Fuck. right? Yeah. So uh, her psychiatrist during this time uh, told Rusty to not have any more children. So... Yeah, she went to a psychiatrist, and this is severe diagnosis. <laughs> like, this is not a joke diagnosis. Yeah. The psychiatrist is like, guys, y'all really, really need to not have any more kids. Every time she has a kid, you are only going to exacerbate the PPP. Seven weeks later, she conceived the, the fifth child, Mary. Oh, my God. Yeah. Stay away from her. And like, like, look, look, I wrote down here, like, this makes Rusty sound awful, but when she was hospitalized, it's also worth noting that, like, nurses talked a lot about how diligent and supportive it was. He apparently went to work with, like, binders of her medical di medical diagnoses mm -hmm. with him. So he could, like, research things on the side. He was always by her side whenever he wasn't at work and would regularly raise a fuss if she wasn't getting what he thought was adequate care. So he definitely wasn't well-equipped to understand the dramatic ramifications of this, but he yeah. tried. So, How could you imagine? Yeah, like th th this is the stories. Th th these are stories that you that Stephen King makes up. Like you can't yeah, imagine this happening to your own life, right? Yeah. So, anyways, going back to Mary. So she gave birth to Mary in November of 2020, and in March of 2021, shortly thereafter, Andrea's father died after an incredibly long stint with um, Alzheimer's. That was that was apparently very debilitating. Wait, That's, not 20, not 2020. I wrote 2020. I meant to write 2000 in 2000. And, okay, great. Thank I was you. like, that feels like it feels longer ago. <laughs> yes, definitely. So yeah, March of 20. I was going to say it again. March of 2001 is when Andrea's father died. And that seemed to be a jumping off point for this. At that time, she stopped taking her medication. She started regularly cutting herself. 
She stopped taking care of the kids or herself. Yeah. To the point where she had to be hospitalized again. I keep picturing like, what was this house like? If you're Rusty, who presumably is normal, mm-hmm. what is this house like? Yeah, horrifying. Like it sounds like a vision from a nightmare. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a, I, I'll never find this again. And you know what? I'm probably gonna po- go post on Reddit to figure out what this was. There was a video I watched like forever ago where it was like it was a show or a TV show or a movie. It was a clip of some sort, but there's a man in this like room watching TV and ignoring his wife and the wife keeps mm-hmm. trying to get him to her to pay att- him to pay attention to her. He doesn't. So she goes in the bathroom and breaks the glass window or the mirror and then starts cutting her face with <gasps> the shards of glass and goes out and says, will you pay attention to me now? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Ugh. No, that's yeah, horrifying. I, I need to figure, I need to find this because I saw it forever ago and it's been etched in my memory. I probably saw it like 25 years ago and I still can remember this to, to this oh, day. Oh, totally. But, that's, that's a horrifying scene. Oh my God. Yeah, it was. It was. But no. like, I, I kept picturing it when I was doing research for this. So anyways, she, so again, Mary's born, father dies. She goes back into like this state that she's in. After being hospitalized, got released again. And a month after that release, experienced another episode where she became catatonic. Like she's starting to, wow. she's starting to almost come across like she's possessed. Mm-hmm. She later would tell police that on this day, she filled the bathtub with water and just stood there staring at it. Mm. Like just stood there staring, not saying mm-hmm. anything, probably not even blinking. And she did also mention later on that she thought that what she was thinking about while she was staying there was killing her kids that day. That was the, oh that was God. all she did. Uh, again, she got uh, Rusty came in, found her doing this. She got hospitalized again, and then you know she goes over to um to, to the psychiatrist ward. By this time, it was pretty clear that Andrea was for sure suicidal and for sure incapable of caring mm-hmm. for herself or the kids. Rusty was actually told by her doctors to never leave her alone, and definitely never leave her alone with the kids. Oh my God! Most of the time, Rusty didn't. Most of the time mm-hmm. he didn't. His theory on it after a while was like, well, look, she's a grown woman. Eventually she's going to have to be alone. Maybe I can like kind of wean her on to being alone with like right. the kids. That makes sense. I mean, who knows? And he would do this in like very controlled. It was like a controlled experiment. Again, like I'm giving him credit mm-hmm. for this. I don't know if I show, but I am. On June 20th of 2001, for one hour, he left her alone. Rusty went oh to work. God. And Rusty's mom, Dora, was supposed to come over an hour after. So I don't even know if it was like forced scheduled like that or anything. I think that Rusty planned it because he was like, yeah, give her one hour alone. And then you show up, mom, and then take care of things, right? Right. Let her try it for an hour. Exactly. Exactly. So like, I don't don't know how much to blame him for that. Mm -hmm. But I can say that during that hour, she filled the bathtub up again and then systematically drowned all five of her children. Oh my God. She started with the eldest. So she started with uh, the, not the eldest, so two under that. It was Luke who went first, then Paul, then John. She would then take their bodies and put them in her bed, wrap them up in the sheets. She drowned Mary, the six month old, left the body in the bathtub and just kind of sat there with it. Mm-hmm. And then Noah comes in, the oldest boy, who's seven. Yeah. And sees it and asks what's wrong with Mary. 
Mm-hmm. He apparently understood enough. I don't know how how attuned seven year olds are to things, but he yeah. understood enough to like know that oh something's really wrong and try to run away from his mom, which is like a crazy thought. Like I would never run. Like can you imagine at seven running away from your mom? Like I, that's like it's your crazy. whole world. Oh my god. She eventually grabbed him and then drowned Noah as well. She then called the police and really didn't specify what was wrong. She would say, I'm Andrea Yates. You know, I need the police, yada, yada, yada. One thing she said was like, she basically, she just said, it's time. Like it was, it's all very biblical and cryptic sounding, you know, like it was just, what does it mean? She then called Rusty and said, quote, you'd better come home. To which Rusty replied, quote, is anyone hurt? Andrea responded, quote, yes, the children. All of them. Oh my God. I was down here, Taylor. Like the movie I was referencing earlier was Event Horizon. And the reason I thought of Event Horizon was because there's this scene where the the guy, our favorite character, Sam Sam Neil, what's his name? Sam Neil? Sam Neil, yeah. What's his real name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever his character name was, he, um, he just like once his eyes were removed and he became fully possessed like he just like talked in a deadpan voice Mm -hmm. you're coming with us forever it's just like yeah see that in this woman it's fucking real and it's like in the 2000s so everything everything was covered in carpet and beige it's just all just grossest (laughs) so terrifying yeah it, it, to me, I wrote down. It just felt like her soul was completely gone. Like I don't know yeah. why the direction her mind went it went the way it did, but it, whatever. So Andrea confessed to the murders. Obviously, she's insane, right? She claimed mm-hmm. insanity, and that was actually rejected. So tell the way it works is that insanity is a defense. It's not like a different trial. Like you just say this person was insane. That's how you do it. Most of the time, insanity defenses don't work because right. the way that you prove insanity is you have to prove that that person couldn't tell right from wrong at the time mm-hmm. of the crime due to mental defect. That's the mm-hmm. legal definition of it. There's a ton of cases out there where somebody does something absolutely horrible and then tries to cover it up. And the mm-hmm. fact that they try to cover it up validates that they were not insane because if you try right. to cover it up, then they you knew. know they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. So if you ever kill someone, just walk around with their skin draped around you like you're normal like go to the coffee shop and then like you will get off because it's like obviously nobody would do that who was we're not gonna get off or you're gonna go to a mental institution i will discuss that as well because there's actually no timelines on mental on on, um involuntary commitments which is very interesting The jury found uh, so uh, the mental defense failed. They find, found her guilty and they sentenced her, her to life imprisonment. The prosecution wanted the death penalty. They were like, "No, this woman is going to get life." Three years later, so she's on in a maximum security jail. Three years later, an appellate court reversed the conviction. This is insane. They reversed the conviction because they found that a prosecution's expert witness lied on the stand. The guy's name was Doctor Park Dietz. He had testified that weeks before the murder, a Law and Order episode aired of a woman who drowned her kids in a tub and then claimed insanity defense to get off. There's, I, I, so there's um, this woman that I'm going to reference a little bit later on. She wrote phenomenal articles about the case, the mm-hmm. murders, her life. Like she, her articles are mostly what I referenced for this. She wrote a book about it as well, and I'm going to I'm going to quote her here later on. She was also the uh, a, a writer for Law and Order during this time when this happened, and she came out saying, "No, I'm actually 
I'm a journalist now who is covering the Andrea Yates trial. You referenced this time period of Law and Order that I was working as a writer on. We never did that episode. Huh. He was just totally making shit up. Weird. Yeah. And so because of that, the appellate court was like, no, like that testimony could have been enough to have swayed the jury into thinking that she was literally just trying to fake being insane. So we're going to reverse the conviction. She was retried. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And then, like I mentioned before, like this is an interesting part of the insanity defense. You don't actually get time for being insane. You're just held until you are evaluated to be determined to be sane again. So right. that could be a month, a year, never. It's totally, uh, yeah. yeah. And so that's where she ends up. She ends up in a mental facility, facility in Texas. It's a minimum security facility. And every year she gets to come up for review to see if she's healthy mentally enough to be released. And every single year since this would have been 2005, she's refused to go undergo her review. She doesn't want to do it. Yeah. Apparently she's happy. Like yeah, she's, what's she going to do? Like get a job? I, like apparently. So as far as I understood it, like she's just like numbed, right? Like she's just on medication completely mm-hmm. zonked out and it's just like just sits there and like it, it's like um it's like the the chief and one clue one flew over the cuckoo's yeah. nest there's another answer pieces which is like the blame component of it like i said i talked a little bit about rusty but everybody kind of blamed everybody else so the doctors blamed rusty because they're like we told you don't leave her alone we told you to involuntarily commit her mm-hmm. like but I will say this, the doctors never actually said that they thought that she was a danger to the kids. So they had an option to choose the, the, these like multiple checkboxes. Is, is this person a danger to herself? Is she a danger to her kids? Is she like mm-hmm. so on and so forth? And they didn't check the danger to the kids part. And so hmm. they could have escalated this outside of Rusty's control if they had done that. And they just mm-hmm. didn't because I guess they didn't think it was that serious. Wow. Most people though, blame Rusty. Almost all of them. They blame his desire for kids, how quickly he wanted to have them, how quickly in succession he wanted to have them. The religiosity of everything that was involved gave this like mm-hmm. dark, dark component to this. Most of pe- most of the reports come out and say that if it wasn't for the kids, this well, obviously this wouldn't have happened. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, obviously, yeah. But but like my point being, like if it was like you're a nuclear family, you have two kids, yeah, probably not going to happen. Right. Uh, on the on the religiosity side, so also the other part of this, the media also blamed religion. Everybody blamed whatever. Everybody blamed everybody. It's worth noting that Andrea noted that she didn't think that she was a good mother, and then part of what they think that was like in her head of this was like, my kids are going to be like wicked sinners, and they're not their immortal souls won't go to heaven if they grow up because they're going to be terrible because I'm a terrible person, I'm a terrible mother. Killing uh-huh. them will save them from damnation. That's another piece of this. Damn, there was a really, really important piece of this that I forgot to put in here. What I didn't put in here that was really, really interesting, and this was part of the article I read, and the woman's name, the one, the one that I mentioned earlier, her name is Susan O'Malley. She wrote that Rusty thought Andrea's going to get off. He was at the trial every day. Mm-hmm. He thought Andrea was going to get off and was already starting to plan having more kids with her. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Like, yeah. like she's what, gonna go home and be fine? 
But yeah, I don't get it. That's really weird. Like yeah, that... it's um, did he, it's... did he get remarried? He did. So he filed for divorce once she um came out of that maximum security prison uh, and went into the psych ward. He filed for divorce and was granted that divorce. It would have been two thousand five. He remarried a woman, or he married a woman named uh, Laura Arnold, and then she filed for divorce from him in twenty fifteen. They have one kid together. So hmm. he he stopped. Yeah, that means Being he has so. six kids. He has six kids in total. That's nuts. Wow. So, uh, like I said, um, I'll, I'll shout this woman out because I actually think that her work was like incredible. It was incredibly easy reading. It was incredibly thorough. It was awesome. So the article that she wrote is called um, A Cry in the Dark. Uh, her name is Susan O'Malley. And one thing that she points out about this case, which is I think one of the reasons why it's so persistent in terms of like being top of mind for people she wrote down that each of us sees in the yates case our own issues the death penalty children's rights women's rights men's rights rights the mentally ill religious rights or just plain righteousness and that's like a really really good point because like a lot of, i hate to say it, like a lot of people kill their kids it's not like that rare of an occurrence like it yeah. happens but this one was really really unique because it a the number of children was crazy and then mm -hmm. There's so many other things that were going on there. So much just emptiness and sadness and like just, I don't know. Um, yeah. And it still persists. And I think it's going to be one of those cases that we like think about forever. Like it's just. Totally. Like, just, like it brings up just such a terrible feeling, you know, like I just, I was think of that poor last kid who was like. He was old enough to know what was going on. And like I saw his sister dead in the tub and like ran away, you know, poor baby. That's so, so bad. scary. So bad. And they probably, I mean, their life is probably so scary anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It had to be, had to be awful. Like I, yeah. so on the, on the, on the point of the podcast, like the whole doomed or fell red flag part of it, I, again, because of how Susan O'Malley references this later on, like I don't actually know what to hone in on other than live your, live your truth like i know that sounds really hokey especially coming from a guy like me but like like if you don't want to be the valedictorian and you don't want to have like the perfect life with the perfect white bread husband who works at nasa and like instead you want to run away with like a fucking harley davidson riding guy to vegas and get a bunch of like flame tattoos like do that like like don't live a life that you don't want to live because you'll resent it and or it's, it's okay to change your mind like it's okay like to maybe she like you know doesn't feel bad as bad as she did as you do against smart people in high school, but like maybe she just like <laughs> maybe she wanted to do that, and at some point things were super out of her control, bad because of her diseases. No, but well, so okay, so this is the rant that I didn't do earlier that I'm, I'll do now is like if you ne if you don't have the muscle in you that is like. I'm going to do what I want and fuck what everybody else wants me to do. I'm going to rebel. If you just don't have that muscle in you, you can't expect someone to just like pick that up and learn it at some point. Totally. Right? That's why like, like I'm going to be the, you know, I got to be the best. I got to be the valedictorian. I got to do this. I gotta do... It's like, you just don't, you, she just didn't have it. She just didn't have that muscle in her of like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to do what I want to do instead. And I don't know, man. Well, then it, like, I think, I think part of like the, part with like postpartum depression and that stuff is like you you have in your head you're like i'm supposed to want this why do i feel this way you know and yet you feel like a failure maybe that my takeaway yeah. from it is like yeah just like what does she say about it does she say anything 
Andrea? Yeah. No, dude, I'm pretty sure she just stares at a corner of a wall forever until yeah. she dies. No, like, my, my take on it was more like, be cool with your kids, like, rebelling. And, like, like that's healthy. It should be a good thing. And, like, they're and more like... with them, like, you know, be like, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like, you know. Listen, I'm going to write a child... Not a child, but I'm going to write a child-rearing book, a guide oh, on yeah. how to raise children. Um, And Perfect. it'll be available in every swamp and sewer that has books, probably. That's, but what, that's what the world is asking for. More fars. Um, what does this childless 30-something-year-old man have to say about raising <laughs> kids and how hard it is? You know what I noticed? Taylor's like, this chair is like super squeaky today. Uh-oh. Can't even imagine what's coming. I Anyways, didn't hear it. So we are, we are, so that's my story. Wow, it's, that's so sad. Yeah, it is. It's it's sad. It's fascinating. It's fucking scary. It's so scary to me. It's, it's, it's like... It, every horror possession movie i watched like this is it like this is yeah except it happened like yeah anyways um but on to your side of the equation i'm gonna pull out my teaspoon of your teaspoon of, do you have tea do you have measuring cups no <laughs> definitely not just, just curious I'll, I'll i'll grow up eventually and get spoons that measure things but not not quite yet yeah you don't need to yeah, 42. Yeah. 42 is the age when you start having to invest in, like, measuring cups. I, mm, okay. You do you. That will be an example. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, awesome. Thank you for sharing that terrible story. Let's flip over to talk about historical failure and the crazy story. You might have guessed by the rum that we're going into the high seas, and we're going to talk about the mutiny on the bounty. Have you heard of that before? I have. This is, this is this is um oh my god this is this is an amistad is it no no because that's amistad this is bounty right correct the bounty is a ship though see i know i know enough to know that i knew yes. so, okay so i have I heard see. of it I see. So the meaning of the bounty, I got this idea actually from my boss. She mentioned it. She was like, oh, I was looking this up this weekend and it was crazy. And I was like, cool. So, I? so I was gonna do something else this week, but then I had um just like read a book and I was like I could, or if I could read a whole book this week, I'm super busy. So I was able to listen to a book and watch a movie to learn a little bit about this about this story. Um, so I read a National Geographic um, article. I watched the 1962 movie Mutiny on the Bounty with Marlon Brando. And then I also read the book by Captain Bly, who's the captain. He wrote a book after called like The Mutiny on the Bounty. Essentially, that's what, it, what it's called. So I read his book. So before I get to that story, I stumbled upon a true crime story while researching it. So I'll tell this really fast. So like I said, I watched the 1962 film Mutiny on the Bounty. Super long. There's an intermission and an overture. I love an overture, but like uh, it's crazy long. Marlon Brando plays Fletcher Christian, one of the main characters. He has this like really weird English accent where it's like high, like it's like a high voice and like a no 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 no. Brando's voice is not made to be British. Sounding. Yeah, no, it's real weird. So he's like he's like uh, he's in it. Kind of plays like more of a he's more of a rich guy as we'll learn. So in the movie, they go to Tahiti. You're gonna learn this in a little bit too. There's a woman who dances like for Marlon Brando in the movie and they do like a lot of eye contact and you're like I don't know there's something going on between those two like they're definitely you know whatever looking at each other weird so it turns out that she this is real in real life 
this woman, this she's a 19 year old actress from Tahiti. Like actress is loose. It was just like they went to Tahiti and like grabbed all the local people to be in this movie. And so he ta- he's 36. She's 19. He takes her back to LA and they get married. Her name is Tarita Terapia. She's still alive. She's 81. So he brings this like young woman back from Tahiti to LA. It was up and down because he's kind of a monster, just like, you know, being a movie star, doing all these things, like being mean. They have two kids. In total, he has 11 kids. And Mom, Brando? Mm-hmm. And he died in 2004, but some of his kids are young. They're like younger than us. They're like 29. Seriously? Which is bizarre. Yeah. So I've had, I've had Teresa, like pretty good looking kids, though. Oh, yeah. Everyone's real good looking. I mean, everyone's fucking gorgeous. Marlon Brando is gorgeous. I mean, he was. Yes, Wait, I know. Wow. I'm not saying like Island of Dr. Moreau, Marlon Brando is gorgeous, but like Marlon Brando and Beauty and the Bounty is gorgeous. Dude, he had a kid who was 49 years old and died in 2008. Okay, wait, I'm getting there. Stop. I'm so, am I ruining things? No. Just wait. wait let me, don't read about his kids. Stop. So, Mar- one of his 11 kids, the one that he has with Charita, um, he has two kids with her. One of them is a daughter named Cheyenne. So, Cheyenne has it rough. Her dad is like, ignores her and is mean to her. He ends up buying some property in Tahiti and like building a hotel and having the mom manage it and kind of ignoring his family. So, she's like, I hate my, I hate my dad. Now it's the 90s. Cheyenne, Marlon Brando's daughter, has a boyfriend. His name is Dag Drolet, and he is abusive towards her. So he starts abusing Cheyenne. And then Marlon Brando has another son, Christian, from his first marriage, who's older than Cheyenne. Are you with me? So there's Yeah, step- like it's just like they, they, like like dude, it's it's just such a good looking cluster of humans. They're also good looking. Oh my god. So uh Christian is older than Cheyenne. They're half siblings. And Cheyenne, who whose mom is from Tahiti from the movies, her dad is Marlon Brando, um, has a boyfriend named Dag. And Christian comes to Marlon Brando's house where Dag and Cheyenne are having a fight. And Christian shoots him point blank in the head and kills him. Good for him. So, Mar- so Marlon Brando's son kills his half half sister's um boyfriend who's being an abusive asshole. Guess who Christian's lawyer is when he is on trial? Um, the guy who, uh, oh, uh, oh God, um, uh, the, the Charles Manson prosecutor, Robert Shapiro. No shit. Yeah, <laughs> wrote, Robert Shapiro, but a bunch of like exclamation points. So Christian pleads guilty. He sir, he gets ten years. He serves five. Um, Cheyenne didn't testify. She attempted suicide twice. She was also pregnant with Dag's child, and. Um, later, they thought that Christian was also involved in helping Robert Blake murder his wife, but that's not like confirmed. And he's the one who died at, of pneumonia in 2008 at age 49. So Christian died. Cheyenne has her baby. Then she's diagnosed as schizophrenic. And in 1995, she's only 25 years old and she dies by suicide by shooting herself. Damn. Isn't that wild? It's like life is so, life, I don't, well, depression's the thing, right? I was gonna say, like, if you're Marlon Brando's kid, like, life has got to be fucking way cooler than it is for me and you. I know. You just don't know, I guess, you know? Anyway, that's crazy. That's all. That's my true crime story I stumbled upon. Marlon Brando's so effortlessly cool. Like, I'm sure he was, I'm sure he was a jerk off, but like, it's like, dude, like, the way he's rocking this suit, like, this picture of him and Cheyenne with, like, him holding her from behind with a lay. The late mm-hmm. one was like yes effortless yeah. absolutely effortless so handsome it's crazy and the kids are gorgeous you know like um yeah everyone's beautiful so yes okay so 
that's just a crazy story that happened because I was reading about Mutant in the Body, the movie. So I watched that movie. There is a Mel Gibson movie, but I didn't watch it because I'm not sure if we're ready to separate the art from the artist on Mel Gibson. Wait, do we, still, do we still hate Mel Gibson? I don't know. Do we? I think I feel like yes, because of the anti-Semitism and his but dad I, but, being a literal Nazi. Oh, I, you know what? I don't, I'm not up on the dad Nazi thing, but I think that like Braveheart. No, I know, but that was like before we knew about the Nazi. Anyway. Who cares? I didn't watch that. It's available. So, okay. We are in 1787. Okay. And so we're a little bit past the uh, American Revolutionary War. Britain lost, but they still have a lot of other things going on. They're fighting with France. They're trying to uh, manage this gigantic slave trade that they're doing, and they're trying to colonize the rest of the world. So Britain is still very, very busy. It's November 1787, and a ship called the HMS Bounty heads to Tahiti. It's called Otahiti, and then later it changes to Tahiti. I don't know why. The captain is William Bly. The first lieutenant is Fletcher Christian. That's Marlon Brando. And in total, there's 46 dudes on the boat. What's a first lieutenant? Is that like... He's like... So, because the bounty was not a, the biggest ship, it was one of the smallest ships that, that the British Navy had, it was called a cutter. So, because it had... It was so small and it was i'll tell you what they were going to do in a second it had no officers other than bly so the captain was the only person who was actually an officer of the navy everybody else was like just like kind of like regular sailors including yeah. fletcher christian it's a very small crew no royal marines to protect the ship which you would usually have so it's like a pretty small group of folks those 46 guys okay the captain william bly um had traveled to like all around the world a lot before he went with someone named captain james cook cook had first sailed to Tahiti in 1769 he sailed all over the world he was eventually killed by native hawaiians which i wrote i'm fine with because it sounds like he did a lot of like colonizing but the goal for the hms bounty was to get breadfruit to bring back to the west indies to feed enslaved people essentially so in tahiti and in that, that part of the world like a little bit like north of Australia, like that area, there's a fruit called breadfruit. It's been around for thousands of years. It's like a big, I'll post a picture of it, but it's like a big green fruit. And the inside you can like bake. It kind of tastes like bread if you bake it the right way. You can like boil it, cook it in all different kinds of ways, depending on the time of year. You can almost always harvest it. And it's like plentiful and has a lot of nutrients. So it's something that they thought they could, you know, bring it to the West Indies and just feed all the slaves with it. Like feed them just breadfruit, basically. Okay. Um, have you ever had like jackfruit that tastes like pulled pork? I don't think I've ever had jackfruit. It's like pretty crazy the stuff they can do with it. Like they do like a thing that I don't know, add much barbecue sauce, it tastes like pulled pork, and it tastes exactly like pulled pork. It's really weird. But things like similar to that. So the HMS the bounty had a botanist on board. So there were um there were forty six men, forty four of them were like the crew, two of them were botanists who were there to get the fruit. They had taken the captain's quarters and they had cut holes in the floor and added more windows and made it into a greenhouse to be able to put pots of breadfruit in once they got there. So Captain Bly slept in like a much smaller room and everybody was pretty cramped because that was like a big space that they had um, allocated for the plants. Make sense? Yes. Hey, so. do you remember, uh, this is like, so I'm like having this memory arrive to me way after your point about the colonizing, but do you remember mm -hmm. that guy who was like, a missionary who went to that one North Seminole Island. I was thinking about him too. Okay, this. I that... fucking love that he was just butchered like a hog. Like, I think it's awesome. I think it's like, I... dude, stop fucking 
taking people's religions stop <laughs> taking people's cultures away from them you it's should the deserve last to die. One. you should oh literally God. deserve to die like i i, I chow his name was Chow. it was c-h-a-u i think i i i i hate to say it but i love that they were just like fuck you and just like shot him with arrows fucking love it it's it's one of, the, one of the one of the most heartwarming stories that should be a christmas tale don't fucking do that don't yeah. fucking take people's cultures from them there's a lot and of this happening in this story in this time yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So they left in November, 1787. They arrive in October, 1788. So it took a little over 10 months and it was 27,000 miles to arrive in Tahiti from England. The ship was exhausting. A few people died. There was a ship surgeon and like surgeon, I think should be in like 17 air quotes because it was just like maybe off the cook or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And he, he ended up killing a dude by accident because the dude had asthma so he was like bleeding him and he had a blood poisoning and died you're like okay that, that obviously predictable yeah yeah the captain bly was actually pretty mean he would order lashings for anyone who broke the rules so a lot of people like getting whipped and punished for things in the book he's very casual about it because his book which i didn't even realize when i was reading it that it was like his when i first started reading it i was like oh this is like his actual account of this but he was like i'm maintaining order what am i supposed to do so it was like a pretty strict um <laughs> Uh, strict time it kind of makes sense that it's called mutiny on the bounty when you're beating the shit out of people like yeah, what am i totally. supposed to do like not that probably yeah one thing that i wrote in uh that i added in my notes that i thought was fun fun not fun they ate albatrosses like they would like catch them out of the sky and eat them and you know, like the big bird so it's, gonna be a tough so it's to a rough catch one yeah it's a rough trip it takes 10 months they were supposed to go via cape horn underneath south america but it was too late in the year to do that so they ended up going the other way down below africa they spent some time in tasmania which was called adventure bay for parents adventure bay from paw patrol i don't think they're in there but that's funny also in captain Bly's book so much of it is like we were at this latitude and longitude and it was like this time and i'm like how the fuck do they know what latitude and longitude they were at so i looked it up and i have no idea i like it's called a section a, a chronometer timepiece it's like okay. the thing that could do it it's like if you i'll if you look it up it's like a beautiful like wooden brief case with like a all these like gears in it like it looks like a time like a something you would use in like a time machine you know like it looks fun but they had like they had they were just starting to figure this out and figure out where they were. So they were like discovering islands, sort of. Obviously, like they're not the first people there, but then they'd be like, Oh, I think if you're at this latitude and longitude, you should see this island that has like three hills. So then like someone else can like maybe know where they are later. But yeah. It seems really scary just to be out in the out in the ocean with just like guessing and like math and looking at the stars. If it's cloudy, you're like, I don't know where the fuck I am, you know? So they were they were hardier crazy. back then. I guess. So now they're in Tahiti. They're about to go on to shore. The Captain Bly has everyone checked for STDs and everyone is fine. In the movie, they're Wait, like... So nobody thought... So you're just going to gloss over that? Nobody thought it was fucking weird that... No, no. Hold on. There's more. So no, they, they did not have STDs when they got off the boat, allegedly. In the movie, they were like, the women loved having sex with us. Like, they loved it. Like, whatever. Like, they say that. But in real life, they were obviously like trading sexual favors for money and like beads and nails and things when it was all over 40 percent of the men contracted an std the stds had been introduced to tahiti by the english and french explorers anyway you know so hold on so the women had the stds that they gave the guys yeah yeah but it all originated from other europeans who went there earlier yeah 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 
and we're like using them as like consorts and such. So somehow the bounty had a lot of stuff on it. They were always able to trade gifts, you know, so they were like, you know, well, here's a mirror and a knife and all these things. And and so he was making, Captain Blah was making friends with the chief. Tyna was the chief's name, T-Y-N-A-H. Captain Bly never slept off the boat. He stayed on his boat while the men started to like live on the island with the native people. But he entertained the chiefs and their wives almost every night. There were a couple petty thefts on the boat, but they were sometimes okay. Usually it was totally, it was fine. The chief wanted to come back to England and meet King George. And Bly was like, not today, not this time, you know? So Aim lower. Yeah. <laughs> meet his guards. So, Exactly. So they like made a little, you know, they made friends and he was making friends with the leadership and basically being like, can we have this breadfruit? This is why we're here. That's the thing that our king wants. And they were like, sure, we do a shit ton of it. But it was hard to cultivate. You can't just like take it with you. There's no seeds in it. It has to be cultivated directly from the root. So they had to like wait for the root to grow and for the plants to be hardy enough to be able to leave. So, so while this, this turned into like basically a fantasy life for all these men. Exactly. It sounds like a fantasy, like... It's fucking gorgeous. There's, like, delicious fruit everywhere. There's, like, beautiful women that are everywhere. And, like, yeah. No, they loved it. Yeah, I can see why they mutinied. Yeah. So, Fletcher Christian, he is the... Oh, I don't know. I mentioned this. But he, so, he's, like, kind of, like, the, the second in command. Um, he comes from a wealthy family. Like, they expected him to be a lawyer, but he decided that he wanted to, like, go on adventures and such. Fletcher Christian is 23, and Captain Bly is 33 during during this just to get some ideas like in the movie captain Bly seems a lot older than 33 but basically they were like not that far apart he's anthony um, hopkins and yeah he's not that old that's crazy <laughs> anthony hopkins was born like, like six years old i know he was never 33 yeah yeah um so fletcher christian had a girlfriend her name was mawatua that's the girl that marlon brando flirts with in the movie and then ends up in real life marrying and in the movie the Marlon Brando is like fooling around with her and the captain is like, you have to stop. And the chief, well, in the movie, she's the daughter of the chief and the um, the chief is like, well, my daughter is good enough for you. So the captain literally goes, I need you to go make love to that woman. And Marlon Brando goes, fine. And um, they put him on a boat and Marlon Brando is like standing on this like little schooner going to land to like basically have sex with this girl. And they have him standing up at the front of the boat with his leg up and it plays the song like the dun 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 dun. It's like really stupid, but like funny. Like he's like, I guess I'll have sex with her for the for the colony. But that's not true. They were just like hanging them for it, essentially. And I can't oh I can't hear you. I see you I see you moving your mouth. I was muted. I was gonna say I guess if it's Marlon Brando and he's gonna whip it out, you gotta make it dramatic, right? Right. Exactly. And I think in real life there's probably a lot of also a lot of sexual assaults, so not great. So it's been five months. The breadfruit is finally working. It's in the pots. It's healthy. They put it all on. They have like a couple thousand plants. They put them on the, on the bounty. And they're going to go back to the West Indies, and everything looks good. So April 1st, 1789, the bounty sets sail again back to England via the West Indies. Obviously, like you said, the crew is not stoked. <laughs> they're like, why can't we stay here? Fuck this. Yeah, like, I don't want to go live a fucking five, like, 10 more months on this boat in, like, doing all this hard labor and being whipped all the time, and, like, it's terrible. And so, if also This is another lost... argument for why capitalism is flawed, is if you yeah. could... Nobody who could live that life would then choose to go back to a capitalistic structure of, I gotta wake up at 8am to do this, mm -hmm. like... Exactly, they've lost a lot of their discipline. That's, like, a big part of it, too. They were like, why would yeah, I go so. back to, like, following rules? Yeah. So, and also the captain's mean. 
and it feels worse because they're like, now I have an idea of what a good life could be like. So there's a lot of stuff that happens, like a lot of abuse by the captain. Um, there's lashings. People aren't allowed to have water. In the movie, I, I'm sure they did this. They pulled someone under the ship. You know how you like like tied him to a rope and like pulled him across the bottom of the ship, which would like really hurt because you'd like get all scratched and that guy ended up dying. So people who are dying, Bly like wasn't really aware of how mad the, the, the sailors were. He was just like, everything's fine. It's hard, but that's life at the sea, you know? So he didn't really like, he wasn't, I don't know, he wasn't worried about a mutiny in real life it's thought that captain bly on april 27 1789 so it's been like about a month that they've been back at sea he accuses christian of uh, fletcher christian of stealing coconuts and punishes everybody so everyone is in trouble for this like alleged infraction that may or may not even have happened and everyone's pissed so now everyone like most people are mad so the next day, April 28th, 1789, a group of mutineers led by Christian armed themselves with muskets and swords, and they burst into the captain's cabin, Cabin said, I'm taking you prisoner. Um, Christian said, I have been in hell for weeks past with you. So they take him and some of his guards and people who were loyal to the captain, and they bring them to the the ship, I don't know, it's the up, upstairs on the ship Bly is surprised they force him into a boat but the boat's not big enough because actually 18 of the of the people who are left want to like go with the captain or they're like not sure what to do so he ends up getting a pretty big boat and um the captain Bly and those 18 men they give them some food and they put him in in this boat and like let them go so this sounds even worse than being on the bounty in general, obviously, because they're in like a schooner. They're on this for many weeks. Sometimes they see islands, but mostly they're just eating a tiny amount of moldy bread. This is where they get a teaspoon of rum every day to try to like warm up because it's freezing and it's raining and they're constantly bailing water Wait, out of it. that's how they warm up is have a teaspoon of rum? Yeah. And that's he says that like- awful. It's awful. And like they're, it's because it's raining so much, they don't really run out of water, which is great. But they're also constantly soaking wet. And the rain is cold, but the seawater is pretty warm. So they take their clothes off and they rinse them in the seawater and then put them back on for warmth, which sounds awful. Like hey, you're Tamar, just like soaking wet. If you, if, okay, so I'm going to ask, like, do you, do you think the way I think? If it was me, like, sure, listen, I'm probably going to die here anyways. I just want to get trashed one more time. Just give me all the fucking rum. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just like go for broke yeah. and then just like have one good night. And then you know that it's all going to suck from there on out. Right. No, but what a way to go. Just like starving to death on a boat. You know, I, know. I, 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 I fundamentally like at my core, I really don't have a problem with eating a person. Like I just never thought yeah, that me was either. a weird thing. Like it's like, it's no, I would meat, totally eat someone. Right? Yeah. No. So I don't think I would go out that way. I definitely would spend my time trying to be someone that everybody likes. Someone would murder me and eat me. I would tell jokes. I don't know. So me and you would have to team up. Me and you would have to team up. So like, it's like because because like because I don't want to hurt people naturally. So you'd have to distract them so I could grab them from behind and choke them. Right. I'll tell jokes. Okay, great. Not yeah, right now. You're the funny one. We'll be like, hey, 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 you want to go on a boat with us? We'll be like, no, no. I've listened to your podcast. <laughs> I know exactly what you have planned. So. It is Captain Bly and 18 men. Also, everyone is sick, obviously, because you're eating moldy bread and they're barely eating. So everyone like just like constantly sick. Meanwhile, the bounty goes back towards Tahiti. They find an island about 400 miles from Tahiti called Tubawi, and they stay there. The natives are like, we don't want you here. They're different. It's a different 
group of people than were on Tahiti. They're like, who are you? We don't want you here. They don't, they don't speak the same language. Um, so they killed a bunch of them. And like the, the sailors on the bounty killed a bunch of the natives. They go back to Tahiti, to the, the people that they know, to get supplies. And so they lie and say that like the captain died. They don't tell anybody about the mutiny because they, they don't want them to know that this happened. And they take 30 Tahitians back with them to this island. Eventually it's just too much. Like the natives who are there don't want them there. Um, and there's a lot of killing and a lot of fighting. So they go back to Tahiti. So the mutineers are a mess. They end up getting in another fight and like dividing up. So 16 of them stay in Tahiti and the rest, including Fletcher Christian, Marlon Brando, pretend to throw a party and invite 30 natives onto the bounty and essentially kidnap them and enslave them so they can build a settlement on another island. So they leave. So- it's like it's like almost entrenched innate second nature to find people and just horribly use them. <laughs> like, it's horribly use the them. Weirdest. It's such and that group a weird... like, includes women that they're like using as like sex slaves, essentially. It's such a weird you know? instinct. It's like when I meet a person, I don't immediately think, how can I use and abuse you to my own benefit? Yeah. Maybe I should. That's my that's, no, no, you know what? that's my fine. fault. Don't that's do, my problem. Don't do that. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, so now the original crew of the bounty is in three different groups, and here's what happened to them. So group one. Is with Captain Bly and his men. They are on that small boat. They eventually uh, reach safety in Timor, which is like another island um, a little bit north. It's about 6,000 miles away from where they started. They get back to England and send a ship back to Tahiti to get the to get the the mutineers. Also, as soon as they took over the bounty, they threw all of the bread plants out of it. So they were like, so they were just like, fuck you. You're also never going like to do this. It was just a form of rebellion? Yeah. Yeah, so they, that, that was so that's not even an option anymore. Bly, Captain Bly, does get court-martialed and acquitted of responsibility for the loss of the ship. Eventually, um, there were other wars and such, and Captain Bly ended up being mutinied again in the Rum Rebellion in New South Wales, Australia, which was not on a boat, but like they took they they like rebelled against him because he was being a terrible leader. And it's Australia's only military rebellion, and I we can talk more about that later. I don't know much about it, but like you're a bad leader. Captain Bly. And um, he ended up going back to England. He died. Oh, he got put on a ship for two years on like a prison ship after that mutiny in Australia. And then he went back to England. He died of cancer at home in London at the age of 63. So he, yeah, he like kept going, even though he was, you know, whatever. Then the second group, the mutineers that were left on Tahiti. So the ship that Bly sent back in 1791 to get the mutineers was called the Pandora. When they got back to Tahiti, there were 14 left. 14 of the mutineers were left alive on Tahiti. The Pandora took them back. It ended up pretty quickly after leaving Tahiti sinking. It landed. It got like stuck in coral. It sunk. They tried to save the prisoners, but four of them drowned because they were still shackled in the bottom of the boat. So um, now there's only 10 left. So these 10, 10 mutineers are left. They go back to England. Four were acquitted. Six were sentenced to death by hanging. And three ended up being pardoned. And three of them ended up being hanged. Thomas Burkett, John Millward, and Thomas Ellison, they were all hanged on October 29th, 1794 for the mutiny. And they're the only ones who were ever actually punished i mean probably a good move like you can't have people just fucking it's never gonna end well when so here's one thing i've learned that you're gonna screw with me again we have there's so many i think bad leadership is better than no leadership taylor's making a face she's pondering the question 
No, maybe. Just like something, somebody has to take charge, right? Because absent any leadership, you have chaos. Yeah. And chaos yes. is rarely productive. Oh, and that's what they ended up having the mutineers because they couldn't agree on anything. Right. And that's I feel like that's what always happens. Like that's what you see happening when like there is, you know, like you like have a good idea, but if no one's in charge, like that's what happened to um. What was a thing with Occupy Occupy Wall Street? Yeah, ninety nine percent movement. Yeah. Yeah, they had no leadership, and so that's how all that's how yeah. all that shit ends up is like yeah different factions like one yeah yeah totally so so yeah absolutely and that that's what happens to the last group so the third group is is christian is christian and his group they go to Pitcairn island which is another island where they want to have a permanent settlement with you know their slaves i didn't finish the movie it's long (laughs) i think i i think i like you can get on youtube for free but they do find an island christian has a son and he has a pretty great name so here's another name that you can give to your future children. Uh, Fletcher Christian has a son with a native Tahitian woman and the son's name is Thursday October, which is great because neither of those are, are names. <laughs> that is the stupidest fucking name I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. I, I've never heard of a dumber name. <laughs> no, I know. They should have. Those aren't names. The doctor what? should take that child away when the birth certificate <laughs> is submitted. Like, not okay. That's pretty great. It's pretty good. So essentially, the women were sex slaves, and the men were being abused to like build this like little colony on this island. Some women even tried to leave on a boat, but they were unsuccessful, and they had to come back. One woman, her name was um, Tevarua. She died by suicide because she was just like so tired of the abuse. They did horrible things to these people that they had to live on this island. In September 1793, there was a uprising by the 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 natives that they had on this little oh. island with them and they killed four of the eight mutineers that were left including Fletcher Christian so he sure. dies in 1793 the british don't find them until 1808 and when they find them there's only one man left on this island um well one englishman left on this island there's just a lot one of really like, fat just one really his. fat guy and there's a bunch yeah. of skeletons <laughs> for real um his name was john adams so he was you know, involved in a lot of the turmoil on the island. There was a lot, there was like murder. One guy wanted to marry uh, Chris, Christian's like widow in parentheses, like the, in quotes, and threatened to kill everyone. So they killed him with a hatchet in his sleep. So they're like fighting against each other. Like this, it's like, it's wild. And then one of the guys was like super upset about just like everything. And he, he jumped off a cliff. So everyone like is kind of losing their minds. So guess where John Adams turns after this? He becomes president of the United States. No, um, he becomes very religious. So he finds God and becomes very Christian. Somehow he also had a Bible. So he tries to live life by the Bible and, you know, starts to like be a big part of like bringing Christianity to these islands and, and does that, even though he's definitely been a shithole, a shithead this whole time. And then he ended you know up being pardoned. You know what's, you know what's interesting about that? Like you go to these places and you realize how incredibly amazing and rich that life is. And tell yourself, I gotta make this like my own my old spot. I gotta bring Jesus into this. Like it's just like what I mentioned when I talked about that one guy, the Egyptian guy, where it's like, why the fuck would you go somewhere and then try and turn that place into the thing that you escaped? Like it makes no sense. There's actually a quote at the end of this National Geographic article where 
a historian in 2017 said, European, European explorers effectively destroyed all the things that people had found exotic and attractive about Tahitian culture. Yeah. They did. That's fucking worst. So, um, I actually yeah. feel weird and guilty that I like Hawaii as much as I do because I know that. Learn about that. Huh? We should talk about that sometime. All the terrible things that happened in Hawaii. I don't know. I don't really know them. So I don't know them that well either. It's just I, I can intuit that like Amer it's an American state, which means it was settled, which means there were missionaries, which means like mm-hmm. all these people who obviously don't look like Europeans with like crosses on the back of their vehicles, like they lost chunks of who they are as humans mm-hmm. because of Christianity and mission- missionaries and stuff like that. And like, I do love Hawaii, but like, it's also, I'm aware that it's, kind of gross yeah totally there was a thing where um no this is funny when one of, one of the times when the rock was on saturday night live they were like at a luau and he was like making fun of people and he was like oh cool you're on your honeymoon that's great do you wear crocs in restaurants in nebraska it was like it's so funny <laughs> like, what are you doing here yeah so john adams was allowed to stay he died at on pitcairn island he's the only he's buried there so he's the only mutineer with a a grave like he's he's buried there the island is still a british overseas territory because of course it is um it has a population of about 50 people and a lot of them are like descendants of the mutineers and a lot of there are a fair amount of people in tahiti that are descendants of you know these colonizers and these people that came out there in 19 oh i don't know if i mentioned that when they got to pick island in the beginning they burned the bounty so they burned the boat so they were you know uh have it as like evidence of what they had done but in 1957 national geographic explorer louise martin found what remained of the bounty off the island's east coast so that's cool. there's still like parts of it that are that are under there that's um cool. yeah and yeah that's it so i feel like the red flags are don't be colonizers and don't treat your people like shit so that they overthrow you i um hold on, i gotta, I gotta find this guy who are you looking for this fucking absolute dipshit loser fucking dweeb John Allen <laughs> Chow, who was oh, all of twenty six years old from Scottsboro, Alabama. What an absolute dipshit! I mean, so like, so here's the thing: like, I again, like, I have no problem with people in their religious practices. I, I, growing up and having friends talk about how they're going to go down and do a mission service in like Central America, like, fuck you. Like, who are you you, to take their fucking culture away from them? Like, well, because they don't fucking have, you know, stock portfolios. They're less than you. Like, what what are you trying to teach them? (laughs) Like, yeah God, it's so offensive and like you know what's funny it's like okay not funny it's actually kind of awful it's like i um i got on those weird rap rabbit holes on youtube and the most recent one that i went down has to do with the narco wars and the carcel wars in mexico mm-hmm. and i've like had this thought multiple times where i'm like dude these people are fucking descendants of aztecs and mayan warriors and they're cutting each other's heads off over like three dollars worth of like weed yeah it's just like and like and i try to like do the math in my head of like how do you tie that back to 
missionaries and Catholics going over there trying to convert them to Christian. It, like it's all there. I know it's there, and I need to think mm-hmm. about it more. But like it is so fucked up that people do that and they think it's a good thing. <laughs> there's just like no like this. There's no redeeming quality to this mission you know like they were going to tahiti to like take advantage of the women take advantage of the culture to steal their food so that they could bring it to the west indies to be able to really cheaply feed their slaves like it's like all bad it's all bad yeah it's all bad there's nothing redeeming about it i do want to say that anthony hopkins does look kind of young in this oh he's 47 he does look i mean he looks the youngest i've ever seen him in this poster for the bounty do you, do you remember when he played um the wolf? No, wait, that was Jack Nicholson. Never mind. Jack Nicholson played the wolf. Um, Jack Nicholson is doing terrible. He like lives alone and is really, really old. But Anthony Hopkins, his his Instagram is like him playing the piano. It's quite lovely. God, what, a, what even the locals told this fucking moron. They said they wouldn't take him there. They wouldn't they said, take We're him. We're not gonna take you there. They wouldn't take him. They like dropped him off. It was like, this is as close to him getting to this island. He was like, I can do it. It's like why? What is and I remember I feel like his dad one time was like, We shouldn't blame him. Blah blah blah. You should hundred percent blame him. He's a hundred percent blame lot. him. He's, He's an a idiot. fucking idiot. And the yeah. people who enabled him, all of his fucking youth pastors and church leaders, yes. so they think you can all fucking bathe in his blood because they're fucking responsible for it too. Piece of shit. Yeah, that story's terrible. And I hope those people on the island are doing fine. Yeah, no kidding. Um I think I read something else about them. I don't know if this is true. This is just a random, possibly untrue story corner that during like tsunami time, when there was like a big tsunami in like that area of like India and Japan or or something, people on that island were okay. They survived because they had the tribal knowledge literally to know that when the ocean gets pulled back like that, they need to run to the hills. Yeah, of course. You know, like without any science or anything, you know, or whatever. I'm sure they have something. You know what I mean? Super cool. Don't go there. So, um, so his dad, this guy's dad, blamed his death, his kid's death, on the missionary community. Yeah, fair, hundred percent. One of my really good friends, I hate fucking saying this, I wouldn't say her name, but like when we were growing up, we went to high school together, and she was like super, super Christian, and was like always going on these missions. And I was just, I remember as a kid, being like, "Oh, that's so cool! You get to travel, and it's like fun. You get to help people." And now as an adult, I'm like, that was kind of fucked up. <laughs> like that was kind yeah, of no. fucked up. I had someone at someone also not say who it was like, but they were like, I got to go to South America and help people. And I'm like, no, you didn't. That wasn't helping people. Are you out of, you're out of your mind? Like, that's absolutely not like, no, yeah. you went there to like knock on doors and try to get them to be Mormon. Ugh, not so the same gross. thing. It's a different thing. Yeah. So Taylor, yeah. Taylor, I think we shine later in the evening. I think I think yeah. at 10 a.m. like I'm kind of barely half awake, and at 8 a.m. you're 100 percent not awake. And um, I, I think that dove. I think we shine, man. I think like later in the evening is maybe. So Taylor moved our time, but she didn't actually know. What Taylor didn't know when she moved our time was that I was desperately wishing that she would because oh. I landed at like 11 p.m. last night from Denver, got to my house at like midnight. And then also had done almost no research for this episode. <laughs> so the fact that she oh pushed God. it is uh, was hugely beneficial for all Next week is going to be wild, but let's talk about it because I might I can maybe do it from the hotel. Wait, wait where are you going? L.A. Wait, why? I have to go to – I'm working from L.A. the 24th to the 27th, so I have to go on Saturday because I also have to work on Sunday. It's just like a big project. And then um, – but I have two baseball games – 
the same time Saturday morning, the end of noon. I mean, there's a chance we could do it in person on Thursday. Yeah, but I can't come until later because we have piano until 530. Being a parent is hard. You should tell we should end with that. No, no, like have one Juan, Juan's a driver. We have dinner. Well, fuck it. We'll order pizza at the at the casita and then we can just have some bourbon and pizza and record. All right. Okay. We'll, figure we'll it talk out. about it. I'll I haven't stop. um I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, great. Thank you for everyone who um I just don't, don't stop. I have to say thank you. Yeah, thank please. you everyone and also i figured out how to review on spotify because my cousin Lindsay asked me how to do that and i was like i don't know so i found out it's on the app only you can't leave words but you can do the five stars 15 people already have so thank you so much please continue to tell your friends we have hopefully some marketing plans coming soon that we'll talk about next week and we'll get out to more people but everybody thank you for your reviews um find us anywhere you listen to podcasts also on youtube as well and i got us a twitter just for fun awesome Thank Same you, thing. Doomed to fail pod. We're on Twitter as well. Now we're on everything. When we're famous, we will not forget you, the little people who helped get us here. We'll remember you, our first thousand followers. Yay. Because <laughs> right now there's like seven of you. But I do think, but we are, go, we are going up and I'm very excited and happy to, happy to do this. So great. No, we're way, Taylor, we're way past that. We're like, we're like, we have like over 1,200, 1,300 downloads. No, I know, but like, does it mean? But this, no, the last you need, one, you need to express faster. positivity. I did. I just made something up and then I felt bad about it. So I said something else. No, we have, <laughs> in the last seven days, we have 76 unique listeners, which is great. Hello, 76 so, of you. Thank you. Thank so you. thank you. Thank you all. Um, and yeah, we'll be joining you again next week, either from Palm Springs remotely in LA, in Austin, or some other way. Also, shout out to um, Henry, our friend, who is definitely listening because we have Henry? one down. Yeah, we have one download in Portugal every week. So that could actually be the other friend I mentioned who did the mission mission trips. Shit, that means that she might hear this. Well, there's one person in Portugal listening to us, so we know it two people be, there. It could be. It's probably this friend. It's probably not Henry. Henry's not. I don't know. I thought I don't know anybody else in Portugal, no, but Hen you do. Henry apparently. listens to like Henry listens to like mind hack stuff. Like he tries to like improve himself as a human. Yeah, he's lame. Two people him. in Jacksonville. Four people in Las Vegas. One person in Olympia, Washington. No way. Seriously? Yeah, one person in Houston. One person in Rockport, Texas. Oh, uh, that's the uh, uh, the new. Is that you? GFs. That's the new GF's oh, mom. One person in Petoskey, Michigan. That's your new girlfriend's mom? Yeah. She told her mom about my podcast. That's sweet. Two people in Grand Rapids. What up, Kelly? I know it's my friend from work. Anyway, very exciting. You should cut us all out. Bye. <laughs> it's like half this podcast I'm going to have to cut out. Cut it out. We've been here for days. All right, I'm going to stop recording. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you.